Well, guys, as you just saw, we're kicking off a new series. This is Ask Anything. And so you guys have already done a great job of asking a number of questions from the start. I mean, I hope you guys enjoyed some of those. But if you've already asked some, don't stop. Because if you're questioning it, someone else else, someone else is also. So keep it coming. We've got three more weeks of this. So don't stop because you've already asked. Keep them coming. Just nonstop. You can fill them out of the harbor. You can text them in. Or you can just send us a message, whichever you want. I mean, we are pumped about what we've got going on the next three weeks. That being said... Tonight, we're going to be talking about three specific questions that have been asked. We're going to be looking at, does God actually forgive us? Does God forgive us? And the second question we're going to look at is this, is that what do we do with unconfessed sin? What's the danger of unconfessed sin? And then question number three is this, it's what do you do if you think you've committed the unforgivable sin? All right, so great, great questions. Like I said, keep them coming. But before we get into these, I want to open this up in prayer. And then we're going to go from here. God, thank you for tonight. Thank you for these friends, for these students. God, I thank you for their questions. I thank you for their personal investment in understanding you and understanding your forgiveness and understanding your grace, God. Um, God, I thank you for the relationship that you extend to us. Uh, we know it came at a cost. Uh, God, so thank you for the, for the opportunity to, to engage in that relationship with you. And I just pray for open ears tonight, that you will convict us of our sin, that you will draw us close to you, and that you will bring us to forgiveness. God, we love you. Amen. All right. So some of you know me a little bit better than others, but if you don't know me or if if anything at all, you need to know that I love to travel. I love to travel almost more than anything else in my entire life. I've traveled as often as far as as far as I possibly can. I travel as often as I possibly can. Does anyone else like that? Anyone else love to travel? Okay, a few of you guys, not as many as I expected. But as summer comes up, who, who's got trips plans? Yeah? yeah? Okay. Going to Africa. Who, where's our Lesotho people? Anyone, anyone going to Africa? Awesome. I am stoked for you and jealous of you. No, I'm just kidding. But, but seriously, traveling, there's a great joy that comes in traveling and taking trips. Who's taking a road trip this summer? Anyone packing their bags, getting in the car? Okay, we got a few of you guys. Who's taking a bus trip? Okay, I mean, if you're going to camp, you're getting on a bus, you're heading out. I mean, yeah, we're, we're getting on a bus. Good. What about a plane? I know we're going to Africa. Some of us are doing other things. Some of us are, okay. I got a few people taking a plane trip. Well, what about a guilt trip? Anyone planning on having a guilt trip this summer? Okay, we have a couple. <laughs> okay, well, I ask, I ask jokingly, but I'm serious in this response is that I seriously hope that that is not the case for you. I hope that none of you have a guilt trip this summer. And I say that because guilt is not fun for anyone. Whether you're the one giving it or you're the one receiving it, guilt is not enjoyable whatsoever. And so I say that because it's not part of God's nature. Guilt is not something that God designed for us. And we know that because, but God, because it's not part of God's nature. And we know that by, by who he is. I see our guilt is a result of our sin. And our guilt is a result of our sin, which then causes us to fear. And that fear is what God is not a part of. Fear is not who God is. And so when we take on that shame and we take on that guilt, then we are in, in, a, in a place where, that God has not designed us for us to be. And I say that because we are created in his image. We are created in his likeness. And we know if that's not of God, then we are, that is not designed for us either. And so as we look at these questions, as we look at does God forgive us, I wanted to answer that just flat out. Yes, God does forgive us. He forgives us instantly, and he forgives us completely. 
And we're going to look at scripture to back that up a little later. But the second question is really what I want to dive into right now is this. Is what is the danger of unconfessed sin? So like I said, sin continues to warp our own identity. Sin continues to, to change our perspectives. And so what you need to know is about sin is that when we sin, there's a guilt that is absolutely damaging and detrimental to our lives. For some, you feel that guilt and that shame from a very early age. Something may have happened to you at some point, and you just carry that with you for the rest of your life. Some people end up carrying it with them to their deathbed. And it's because they've never gone about addressing it, and it totally consumes them. It is damaging and detrimental in so many ways. But this is what happens when we allowed unconfessed and unaddressed sin and guilt into our lives, is that we feel guilty, and we let our gift of sin go unforgiven. Two things tend to happen to us. It's this, that we, we fear being found out, and we fear being rejected by others. And these are natural. They tend to go hand in hand with each other. Because naturally, as, all, as we are all sinners, you sin, you commit that sin, you naturally feel that guilt. The last thing you want is your, for your friends to know about it. The last thing you want is for people, your parents especially, to find you out. And so in that, in that kind of place of isolation and, and just like, I can deal with it myself, the last thing we think that people are going to do is accept us because of it, right? And so we think that people are then going to reject us. And so when that takes place, we then naturally begin to then think to ourselves, I mean, I want to be known. I want people to really care for who I am. But how is that supposed to happen if we're not honest with each other, if we're not honest with God? And when that takes place, we then start asking these questions, man, if only my friends, if only my friends knew me. And we, out of fear of rejection, we then say, Man, if only my friends knew what I did when I was alone earlier this week. Man, if only my friends knew what me and my girlfriend were doing behind closed doors. If only my parents knew about the party that I went to last week. If only my teachers knew that I've been cheating on their tests. If only, if only, if only that we could create whatever we want for this is that we understand guilt better than anybody. I mean, we are naturally sinful. It's part of our nature now because of Adam and Eve. And so sin is something that will be a part of our life for the rest of our life, but that doesn't mean that we have to be defined by it. And so this is the point of, what, of not, being identif- or not being glued to the identity of, of sinner rather than being forgiven is this, is that our sin and that our guilt separates us from those we love and from those who love us. And that takes place because we're hiding. Naturally, when we sin, the last thing we want to do is be found out, right? So we go into hiding, and when we go into hiding, we we're not who we think we are. And there may be times when you're at school or you're on the ball field or whatever it is that you do, and your life looks good. But deep down inside, you know that you're not, you're not who, you, who God has designed you to be. You're not your true self. And so when we try to go and deal with our unconfessed sin and unaddressed guilt, a few other things take place in our lives. Is that we try to bury it. Much like trying to hide and not trying to let people know what's going on, we then try to deep, dig it deep into our souls. So you can dig that deep, as deep as you possibly want, but I promise you, it'll find its way out. It always does, and Scripture tells us this. Scripture tells us that your sins will find you out. And so I kind of think of, of Mount Trashmore, or even if you know the, the trash dump that's on Centerville Turnpike near Atlantic Shores, like the, the church that's right there. I mean, that thing stinks, just flat out. There, but there are days... Or you don't even notice it. You can drive by and not smell it. There are other days where that thing is just 
drank. And you can't drive by without being like, what on earth? And this is buried trash. I mean, some of it's exposed, but this is the reality in which we live. And we try to bury something, and something about it will find its way out. So some of you as the seniors, some of you guys are dipping out in a couple of months, and you're off to college, and you're going to say, hey, I know I did some things in high school that I'm not proud of, but when you leave it unaddressed and unforgiven, let me tell you that that sin and that guilt that you still bear right now is going to find its way, find its way with you to college. You may think, hey, Virginia was just a period of my life where I messed up, where I did some things that I'm not proud of. So what's the answer? It's like, I really want a fresh start. I'm going to move. I'm just going to move on my own. I'm going to go as far away as I possibly can. So you dip out to California, you go to Washington, I don't care. It doesn't matter. You try and get as far away from where you were, and it's going to find you. So when it comes to being buried, it doesn't matter how deep, how wide, your sins will find you out. And it's not only an us thing. Sin is a universal thing that we all have in common. And it's the same with people in the Bible. I think it's sometimes difficult for us to think, like, we are not them. They're totally different than us. Life was easier for them. Let me tell you, King David is a perfect example of this because the man had all the power in the world, all the power of Israel, had all the authority, all the influence. And look what he has to say about burying his own sin. Look at Psalm 32. It says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you took away the guilt of my shame. You took away the guilt of my shame. And this is powerful. And what we see here is that instead of harboring our guilt, instead of holding on to the shame, you see that God forgives and that God restores. And this is a man who's got it all. This is a man who literally could buy whatever in the world that he wanted to. This is a man that could have as many wives and do whatever he wanted with, and he did. This is a man that had the respect of the people. Yet he tried to bury his sin because he, was, he didn't want to be found out. And so in burying that, what does he do? He goes, well, I don't want people to know, so the most natural thing to do is just keep it, keep it internal, keep it to myself. I'm not going to tell anybody. So, and David says, it's in my silence or when I kept it silent, and it ate away at him. It consumed him. And this is the reality is that it got to the point where he's like, man, I can just give it to God. God, I give you my iniquity. I give you my transgressions. Hey, take this from me. And this is what Jesus did. He he says, you took away the guilt of my shame. And God does that just for you and I, because we are just like David. We've got our own guilt that we weigh with us, and we carry with us every single day. We have our stuff that we're not proud of, and we, it weighs, it's a weight on our shoulders. So burying your sin and your guilt doesn't work. What's next? Well, the next tendency is then to blame others, and sometimes it's a combination of all of these, is that we then decide that, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm not as bad as the next person. You know what? I'm not really responsible for this because they made me do it. And this is blame is something that goes back as genuinely as old as time to just a few days after the creation itself. We look at Adam and Eve, and I know you guys, are, many of you all are familiar with the story, but Adam and Eve had been commanded by God not to eat of the fruit of, of the tree of, of good and evil. So Adam and Eve are cruising through the garden, and they engage in conversation with the serpent, and next thing we know, Eve has taken a bite of the fruit and then passes it off to Adam, and Adam then just takes a bite of the fruit, and immediately they feel guilt. So guilt enters the world for the very first time, Sin enters the world for the very first time. 
Not only are they guilty and sinful for disobeying God's command, but they're guilty and sinful for the blame that's about to happen. You see, not only they feel ashamed, not for what they've done, or for what they've done, but also, Scripture says they feel ashamed for their nakedness. And no one had ever told them that they were even naked, yet they saw each other exposed for the very first time, and they see guilt. They still they see shame, and so naturally they go hide because that's our tendency: is that when we do something wrong, we go and hide because we don't want people to know about it. And so not only do they go hide, they go clothe themselves, they go find leaves and 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 cover themselves. And God comes to them in the garden. He meets them in the garden and they're hiding. And God says, Adam, this is what we see in verse, 13, or verse 12 here in chapter 3. Adam, what have you done? And Adam's response is this. God, the woman you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit. God, she gave me the fruit. God, had it not been for her, I wouldn't have done this. God, there wouldn't be a problem here. God, the woman you created for me is the issue. God, she made me. God, she did this. She did that. And so immediately, we see guilt, or we see, we see blame for the first time entered into existence. So God immediately then goes to Eve and says, Eve, what have you done? And so as if the tactic worked the first time with Adam, Eve then's like, well, I'll give it a try. And says, God, the serpent deceived me. Thus, it's the serpent's fault that I sinned, that I disobeyed your commandment for me. And so we see this blame taking place as a way to justify their sin as if it's okay, as if it's not going to be anything that God really cares about, as if it's, yeah, sure, I, I messed up. I'll take ownership of that, but, but I'm not as bad as them because they, they're the ones who influenced me to do it. And how often is that us? How often do we find ourselves in a place where we, we find ourselves in sin and then we just try and compare ourselves because we know people who are deeper than us? We try to make ourselves feel better about it. Have you ever asked yourself why you think, why we do this? Why are we so quick to blame other people for our wrongdoings? Well, I think it's because we blame, we use blame to balance out our guilt, to justify it. I really do. And this is the thing about blame. There's a pastor out in California named Rick Warren who has a special definition for blame. And he says, blame, when you use blame, it is the act of being lame. You see, blame, literally just spread it out. Be lame. So therefore, if you are using blame, then you're being lame for doing so. And just stop. You don't have to. It doesn't work. And the reality of blaming someone else is it just leads you into greater and greater sin because you're trying to cover your tracks. You're trying to cover up your backstory. You're trying to make things right in the wrong kind of ways. And so if we know that bearing our sin isn't going to work and blaming others isn't going to work, the next thing that we end up doing is we end up beating ourselves up over it. So when we beat ourselves up, this is, we typically do this subconsciously. Like I said, because we go into hiding, we don't want people to know what's going on. We don't want people to know our dirty laundry. We don't want people to know how sick we really are. And so when we beat ourselves up, it's demoralizing. It's deafening. You lose sight of, of your identity because we define ourselves by what we've done rather than who we're becoming, who we are in Christ. So we're going to go back to our guy, David, the guy who's got it all. So if we look at Psalm 38, this is where we see David addressing the very same issue that you and I face today. And he says this, my sins have flooded over my head, and they are a burden too heavy for me to bear. My wombs are foul and festering because of my foolishness. I am bent over and brought low. All day long, I go around in mourning. And so David's saying, like, God, I am over my head in my sin." 
God, I'm carrying this burden on my back that is weighing me down that I can't take any longer. God, I am so caught up in my foolishness, I don't know what to do with it. And I think that is you and I tonight. I think we so easily get caught up and lost in, in the things that we've done that we feel sometimes that we're over our head. Sometimes we feel so trapped in the things that we've done. We feel so lost because of that. And so if that's you, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that looks, what comes next. But I want you to know that we punish ourselves over and over and over again, and we just don't know when enough is enough. So these are all traps that take place when we don't confess our sins to the Lord. But this is the reality. When we do sin, so many of us have a misconception of God at times in our lives where we think that God is just there ready to strike us. He's ready there just to judge us, and he's excited to do so. And so when you come to him saying, God, I did it again, we have this picture that God's saying, are you kidding me? You did it again? Haven't we talked about this? Like, Chris, you are better than this. Chris, how many times are you going to come to me with this sin? And so that's the wrong mentality of who Jesus is, of who God is, and who is, like, what his forgiveness looks like. Because the reality of forgiveness is every time that I come to him, he's saying, Chris, you're forgiven. Chris, you're forgiven. Chris, you're forgiven. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. And so what's the solution? If it's not to bury it, and it's not to blame others, and it's not to beat ourselves up over what we've done, where are we going? Well, the beauty of this is the cross. We see in John 1, 1 John 1, 9, say this, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So he, God, is faithful to forgive us of all of our sins. Is all we have to do is confess. And this is the beauty because God already took the weight that you feel burdened on your back that you feel is just too much for you to bear. Whatever the sin is, as little or as big as you think it may be in your world, God already took it to the cross. But it's not only like God didn't just come for the people of the New Testament. God came for all. And so we see this even in Daniel verses nine, chapter 9, verse 9, where he says, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. You see, since, since sin entered the world, rebellion has been ever-existent. It's been part of our natural state. The tendency is just to, to turn away from God and do our own thing. But this is the whole point of the cross, once again. It's that redemptive story. So yes, the question, the, the answer to the question of, does God forgive us? Yes, he forgives us, and he forgives us, and he forgives us. But what about the unforgivable sin? Doesn't scripture talk about there being unforgiven sin? I want all eyes up here and locked in with me because I don't want there to be any confusion when you leave these doors tonight on what sins God will forgive and what, God, what sins God won't forgive. And this is it. We don't have a whole lot of time to dig into it, but if you want to learn more about the unforgivable sin, you can find it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But what it is, it's this. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. What that means is defaming the Spirit. It means cursing the Spirit. It's the sin of self-consciously rejecting Christ and the gospel. So this is the sin that takes place in our own lives when we realize our sickness, when we realize that we don't have it all together, and that we see God's demand for holiness, we see what Christ has done, we, see, we understand the nature and calling that God has on our lives, and we see Christ's grace and forgiveness, and we say, I want nothing to do with it. We say, I absolutely reject it because I am okay with living in total rejection of the Lord. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And where we see this in, in Scripture is this. Is that it's, like I said, it's outlined in the Gospels. But Jesus had been teaching a group of people. And naturally, as we know, 
if you've been in church, is that the Pharisees are not the biggest fan of Jesus. Pharisees have been out to, to discredit Jesus since, since he started his ministry. And so as Jesus is creating a following, people have seen him perform miracles. People have truly believed that he's the Messiah. And so the Pharisees and the religious leaders have all come together to say, hey, how can we throw him under the bus? How can we get rid of him and his following and, and take him under? And so what they do is they start spreading lies of the work that Jesus has, has done and saying that, that the acts that Jesus has done that he has performed are because of the devil. And so Jesus' response to them is this, is that you see the work of God himself. You see God in the flesh. You see the coming Messiah. You see the fulfillment of prophecies, and yet you, dis- you continue to reject me. Not only reject me, you discredit the authority of God himself, and you give it credit to the devil. This is the blasphemy of the Spirit. And so if you're worried tonight that you've committed a sin that is, that is unforgivable, I would challenge you to think, and I think the odds are that you haven't. Because the chances, because I say that because surely by asking that, that question alone, you're looking for an answer. What do I do if I've committed the unforgivable sin? Well, what do you do is referring to an action. And that action is going to lead you to find an answer. And that answer you'll find is repentance and forgiveness. The person who has committed the unforgivable sin is not interested in forgiveness. Because they, they want nothing to do with God himself. So, in a nutshell, that is the unforgivable sin, but everyone else here, we do have sin in our lives. And so, you, if you think that you have a sin that is so far gone, that is so bad that you can't imagine anyone, much less God, forgiving you, then I want to challenge you to look at the cross because that is not the case. And so, you don't have to weigh yourself. You don't have to carry this burden any longer. You don't have to deal with the pain and suffering that comes with trying to hide. And so, what this looks like for us is this, is that so many of us get forgiveness wrong. We don't understand forgiveness in its fullness. The scripture is super clear of what, what it takes to be forgiven. And it's simply this. It's to confess your sins before the Lord and to turn. We see it in 1 John 1, 9. But if you want healing for your sins, that's a totally different thing. If you want healing for your sins, what we see here is in James 5. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for, for one another so that you may be healed. Some of you may know for a fact that you're forgiven. You've accepted Christ into your heart and you know that God has forgiven you for your past, your present, and your future. And you can trust that. But sometimes, maybe you still feel like you're carrying something. Maybe you've got a sin in your life that you can't seem to shake. You've gone back to God saying, God, forgive me, I did it again, I did it again. And you just need help. And yes, God's gonna continue to forgive you and, and, and help you through, through that. But we, what we see the author here do is say, hey, confess your sins and confess it to one another. Because this is, what Christians, this is what Christians do for one another. This is the church. This is why we as a church believe so heavily on life groups. We want you to find your people, find like gender-specific groups to be able to help love, encourage, and support you through the hardest of stuff. But it takes not only the confession of sin to God, but it, sometimes it just takes telling somebody. And so for the longest time, you've just continued to to carry this burden, to carry the shame of what you've done and not being open with each other to help each other. And guys, we are in this together. As believers, this is God's call. This is not a fight you have to do alone. And how are we supposed to get help if we aren't open and honest? And there may be others of you here tonight who aren't so sure. 
that this is the case. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ and you've never understood forgiveness for what it is. Maybe you're, you're literally, you're like David. Maybe you will feel that pain. You feel that pounding on your chest. You feel the burden that you bear. And maybe you're, sometimes you feel like you're drowning. Maybe you just don't know what to do. Maybe getting through the night is hard at times. Getting through the day at school, like, man, I don't know, I don't know how I'm doing this. And God has, God has forgiven, forgiven you of those sins, and he bore those sins on the cross, and all he's saying is say, hey, give it to me. I didn't design you for this. This is not what I have for you. This is not my plan for you. Give it to me. So with that being the case, God does forgive. He forgives, like I said earlier, instantly, and he forgives completely. But I want you to know at the same time is that there is a serious danger in unconfessed sin. That danger is separation from Christ. As the believer who has already given their life to Christ, the danger of unconfessed sin is just a broken relationship, just as you would with anybody else. If, you, if you've been lying to your best friend, you think they're going to stay your best friend if you keep lying to them, if you keep hiding from them, if you keep rejecting them? No. No, and so your relationship with Christ as a believer of unconfessed sin is, is just going to be damaged. It's not going to be complete. 